0: talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Have you noticed it only seems to be Canada that is still locked down with COVID-19? Be calm and vaccinate on. Here's Scott Thompson.
2: There you go. It's another Monday. Uh, Good afternoon. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Great to have you on board. Will Weber on the board and in the newsroom watching the world spin is Diana Weeks and Dave Witter. They will be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 430 news. You want to hang on for that. And if you want to throw a topic on the table, as always. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star on your cell. Another jam Pack show today. Uh, I'm going to start the show off. I'm going to gonna talk to a friend of mine in Florida. And uh, this friend's a few years older than me. He was very much a mentor of mine, really, when uh, I, I first started. Anyway, he's uh, since retired. He had a long, illustrious career in Ottawa and um is retired, and he's uh, doing the snowbird thing. Uh, started it, I think, two years ago and then came back because of COVID and then made the decision to go this year. Uh, and he's got some uh, pretty funny stories and just interesting life uh, in FLA, from a Canadian's perspective, we'll talk to him coming up a little later on. Also, uh, we talked about the story last week. Carmi Levy is going to be joining us to get his take on this, and uh, it's pretty odd when you think about it. But uh, for the athletes and the staff that are heading over to Beijing, uh, they are going to be—they're uh, going to be given cell phones. So they use them over there, and then they sort of throw them in the can before they get on the plane. I don't think that's quite the protocol, but something to that effect so they they can't be tracked and such when they come back very interesting um uh angle on this story in the olympics that are coming up so we'll talk about that coming up uh, a little later on and uh and um yeah there's um yeah there's a whole different uh lots of different uh, tentacles to that story we'll say also you might have heard about a uh the situation with truckers and um and you know it's not something that's bilateral across both countries because it it's um i don't believe the united states has made the call yet but will very shortly about having everybody coming in uh be vaccinated be fully vaccinated uh in order to uh, to keep the supply chain moving and get across the borders both directions and really both countries have to be in agreement; otherwise you only go one way and uh, that's all coming to a head this week as uh, both countries are looking at mandatory vaccine in order for truckers to uh, to go back and forth. And the Canadian trucking industry, uh, I don't know what it's like in the States, but the Canadian trucking industry has about the same vaccination rate as every other uh, you, you know, polar population in Canada. They've got about uh, over 80% of the population uh, that is fully vaccinated, but there's that small percentage that either can't or won't or scared to, what have you. And uh, if you make it mandatory, as if some are saying, should be, what does that do to the supply chain? So uh, we're going to talk about that and, and and what should be done. And is it really, uh, you know... It's time to have the discussion is if we're, you know, are we going to get hundred percent of the people pop uh in the population vaccinated? And I don't think you can. I'm fully vaccinated. Encourage everybody else to be fully vaccinated. Um, but you know, some people are fearful, some people are just anti-vaxxers, some people for religious reasons, you're not going to get hundred percent of the people vaccinated. So, uh that being said, should we risk the supply chain? And, and, and where does that leave things moving forward? So we'll have that discussion coming up uh, a little later on. Also, uh, you're seeing what's happening between, uh, Russia and the Ukraine and, uh, and Ukraine rather and the United States and now Canada's involved. We're going to bring in Phil Gersky Gers- uh, to talk about that and, uh, what that means as things are obviously heating up along the border and why is this happening now? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll watch and, and see what happens as, as, uh, cooler heads try to prevail. As I mentioned in the 430 hour, or sorry, after the 430 news, uh, Diana Weeks, Dave Woodard will be use, uh, be joining us for, uh, the round table. Also going to talk to a teacher. Uh, and get their perspective of what's been going on over the last uh, little while and making the transition back into uh, in-person uh, uh, learning and what that's been like in an Omicron world. Uh, also going to talk more about the Russian and uh, Ukraine story uh, in regards to NATO and what Canada is going to be doing. And did you know this, but uh, China passed the second anniversary of its first COVID-19 lockdown with much uh, without much to do. Uh, Similar anniversaries are going on around the nation in the coming weeks. Do we mark those? uh it was two years uh, uh that uh over two years now is late December that uh this all started in Wuhan China and it's sort of come and gone with the anniversary and not much has been said we're going to talk about that uh also Radley going to be joining us at the end of the show and that should be interesting after a uh, great weekend of football uh unfortunately not out in uh coming in favor of uh the Buffalo Bills uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. My son and I were watching, and you know, uh, what the score was at once in the game and, and how it ended again. It just uh, it makes you shake your head, but that's sport. We'll talk about that with Radley coming up uh, a little later on. Also, uh, the poll question of the day, uh, want to get your opinion on that. And you can do that just going by our social media pages to Twitter. Uh, the Twitter poll question of the day. Uh, should truckers be exempt from the COVID-19 mandates to help the supply chain? 54% of you are saying yes. Uh, again, you know, this goes back to what's our mission here? Because if our mission is to get 100% of the population vaccinated, I think that might be troublesome for many reasons. So, uh, are we wasting our time having these discussions? over the last 10% of the population, or is it just to the point that, you know, even with uh, so many of us vaccinated, it is doing such a crippling job of our healthcare system. We have to at least do something. Here's an idea. Let's fix that. You're
0: listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: All right, so here we are, and we're in January, and we remember how the year started. We remember how we were supposed to have a holiday. Uh, We did this, you know, the CHML Christmas tree of hope the first weekend. In December. We were actually there. First time I'd seen a lot of the employees in like two years. And we were talking about how we were probably going back to work in January. And then, like a week later, Omicron hit and we all went into uh, a-, a tailspin again. Um, that being said uh obviously with omicron it's very transmissible but it's not as lethal especially if you're vaxxed and in double vaxxed and boosted and everything you need to be uh as you know uh our family went through it came out the other end we lived to tell and again as long as you're vaccinated for us it was uh it, it wasn't a bad experience and well it was but it wasn't the worst uh that being said uh, we're starting to see uh, restrictions slowly be lifted, and uh, we're seeing this even in British Columbia where everybody loves Dr. Bonnie Henry, and she said, you know, we got to start learning to live with this. we got to start uh, learning to live with it as an endemic, and a lot of people uh, got their feathers all ruffled up saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? But if you look around, uh, you know, especially parts of Europe and such, uh, things are starting to open up again. And then there's Florida which uh, I'm not sure it ever closed. And I, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine who's uh, uh, a, a former morning guy in Ottawa, at JFM in Ottawa, and uh, has uh, recently decided uh, to walk away from it all and in the last year or so, two years, I guess, and, uh, and do the Snowbird thing in Florida. So we've been chatting back and forth, trying to get just a feel of what it's like down there. And there was a National Post article today about a reporter that was from Montreal that took off down there last week, and basically the headline was, uh, "It's like living on another planet." So uh, here's Doc Halen. Uh, he's in Florida right now. He's a Canadian snowbird. Good to see you, Doc. Hope you're doing well. I
3: just figured out the wordle in four tries today. How'd you do?
2: <laughs> you know, I don't even know what that is, and I'm not sure what that How says about each know one what of that us. Is?
3: Well, supposed you supposed to be up on all the latest things. This is the biggest thing on the planet right now. Plan- uh, you know, mortal.
2: clearly I don't have the spare time that you have, but congratulations, and it's good because it's keeping your functions moving and all that sort of stuff, and, and you're coherent to speak with us now. Uh, so uh, give us a little backstory here. How long have you been down there? Is this your second year doing this? Uh, yeah, we missed a
3: year because uh, uh, we, uh, we quarantined last year. But yeah. uh, we were we down here the first year. The first year I retired, I think it was 2019. And then in March, we got called back to Canada because we figured they were going to shut everything down, which uh, we went into quarantine. Which, yeah. I gotta t- you know, the, the first part of it, I think for a lot of people, was kind of fun. Uh, you know, it was like, how much can we drink? And, uh, <laughs> you
2: know, how many puzzles can we do? and, stuff and How we, many pounds got, like, can you were- put on?
3: Yeah, and it was felt like we, you know, we were doing something important, and then it's sort of become a lot darker and, and tedious over time. But, yeah, this is our second year here. We skipped one, and then we just got back in November.
2: So what's it like down there? I mean, obviously you've still got family here, so you know what it's like here, especially in Ottawa and such. i got a uh, rain
3: cam. All i got to do is look.
2: <laughs> so you know if the driveway's been shoveled or not. Good for you. That's right. uh, So anyway, so what's it like in FLA?
3: Uh, it is, uh, it's bizarro world, to be honest with you. It's, um, they, they don't, uh, there is COVID here, but they're very hush-hush about it. Uh, you know, and I, I live in a gated community, uh, 55 and over type community, and uh, there are people who get COVID here. People have passed away from COVID here, but nobody really uses the c word (laughs) uh they
4: oh yeah joe he's
3: got he's got the flu he won't be playing golf with us this week (laughs) or next week (laughs) for 14 days actually (laughs) but they won't say what it is and some of them will pass away and they'll you know kind of just gloss over it kind of thing they don't want to admit that it's here it's it's very strange but if you go into the stores like we went out shopping this morning to get some stuff and uh, because Omicron is uh, very uh, high right now, uh, I'd say ninety percent of the people are wearing their masks. Uh, it was less when we got here, but because of Omicron, it's, it's gone up. But they don't. Is uh, it that
2: Dan, or is it just that more uh, Canadians have arrived?
3: No, it's not that. Well, <laughs> there's not as many Canadians uh, as there used to be. You know, the first yeah. year I was here. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's the people, um, but they they're. Uh, their governor will not allow them to put out any mandates. Uh, he's yeah. he's in complete denial of uh, what's going on around here.
2: Is it on the news at all? Like when you uh, look at any of the media, do you, do you, how much of it is because it's still quite prevalent here?
3: Yeah. Well, the local news—it's uh, the first story every day. Well, yeah. well, unless there's a shooting, then that's first.
2: <laughs> So, uh, do you want to tell the story about uh, chatting with your friends about how many here in the circle had guns?
3: Oh, uh, oh, when we play golf? Yeah. No, no, I was, I was playing golf. Uh, I, I play golf with the same guys every week. We have these little leagues. We all, you know, Yeah. take money off each other and stuff. And uh, the, these guys, they're in their 80s, and uh, Ray says to me, hey, uh, how hard is it to get a gun in Canada? And I said, I said, well, if you're hunting or something, I'm sure it's not that hard. He, he said, no, I'm not talking about, you know, to carry a handgun. And I said, well, I wouldn't know. I, I don't carry one. I don't know anybody who does carry one. If somebody does, I've never heard of it. So I have no idea. And he goes, really? Well, you're looking at two guys with guns right now. And I'm like, so he's insinuating that he's got a pistol in his golf bag. you know, I uh, I gave him a lot of gimmies. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. Well, you never know. There might be a wayward wayward squirrel somewhere that, uh, you know, needs looking after. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for sharing the stories. I wish we had more time to chat, but uh, we're out. And and, uh, take care, be healthy, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and maybe we'll chat again before you uh, pack up to come home. Uh, Have fun and be safe. Stay low.
3: Thank you. Always a
2: pleasure. All right, let's bring in Carmi Levy. Lots to talk uh, to this great tech analyst about, uh, including the Beijing Olympics and athletes being said, uh, told or asked not to bring their own phones. Uh, We'll give you a a portable and and you don't want to be downloading anything onto your phone when you're there, Uh, anything personal on your personal device. Carmi Levy is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
5: Great to be here, Scott. Thanks.
2: So, what are your thoughts on this, Carmi? What is what, what if you're an athlete or a staff heading to the Beijing Olympics, what is the deal around your phone?
5: Well, I mean, I, you know, and I said this having been to China twice on business, I think the issues uh, apply to Olympians, as they apply to any Canadian or anyone else who's planning a trip to Beijing. It's just recognize that the internet there is not the same as the internet here. Uh, that the Chinese government has a very uh, strong uh, legacy of surveillance on anyone who lives or visits there, uh, and, and that that information, anything you you do online, is, is being tracked, and that data can be used against you in any way. And so you've got to be super careful about uh, what devices you bring and then how you use them once you're over there. Adding an additional layer to worries around the Olympics specifically is that uh, all athletes and uh, coaches and anyone who's participating in the Olympics has, they have to download and use an app called My 2022, which is basically like the, 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 the Beijing Olympics app. And you have to put private information in there, your name, uh, your vaccine status, uh, your travel plans, all that stuff. Uh, and of course, that private information is also uh, not fully encrypted. The app isn't all that secure. So Lord knows where that data is going. So. You know, at any time, China is a security concern for technology, and that's especially the case now for everyone who's heading over there for the Olympics.
2: So are athletes being provided with their own with devices to take over
5: there? They are. the International Olympic Committee, and this is an important distinction. So not the Beijing uh, uh, committee or organization, it's the IOC. They are providing devices uh, as well as SIM cards to athletes and other participants. So, Um, And the goal being is that the last thing you want to do is bring your device over with all of its apps and all of its sign-ins and all of its history on it because then of course once it connects to a network in china it is subject to surveillance there so if you leave all of your devices home and you bring this you know, we like to call it a burner phone basically because it's something else then uh you know you you limit your exposure you don't completely eliminate it because there's no way to totally eliminate it unless you don't use technology which is not an, an option here um, but it does allow you to control what the chinese government can see when you get over there for example uh, you start with this phone, you you install the My 2022 app, of course, uh, and then you limit the social media that you install on it. You don't use your own accounts, you create other accounts. That way, uh, you don't wow. load up all of your contacts. That way, the you know if, if in fact your device is surveilled, they'll only get certain amounts of limited data. And then when you come back after the Olympics, you don't have to worry that all of your information is now in the Chinese government's hands.
2: What do they do with those phones when they come back? They just hand them back in, throw them in the in the trash can?
5: Uh, Presumably so, because I certainly wouldn't want to repurpose them in any way, shape, or form, and I certainly uh, wouldn't you know if I were uh, buying a used phone, that's the last phone I would ever want to buy. So uh, presumably they're reset to factory uh, and used in some other capacity, but uh, ultimately they're basically for that purpose only, and then they have no use after the games.
2: And you would recommend to anybody who was ever traveling over there to do the same thing, not to take their own device there? Exactly.
5: Uh, When I went, I did exactly the same thing. I I worked with the company that I was with at the time, and I got a secondary machine. Um, I brought other devices with me, not my personal devices, uh, different SIM cards. I used different accounts when I was there. Um, I made sure that I didn't have all of my contacts loaded. Uh, scheduling things like that, anything that could be tied back to my network back home, I limited that exposure. Uh, and I, you know, if, if there were things that were time sensitive, I set them on timers so that I didn't have to access the system while I was there. That they automatically posted, for example. I didn't access uh, my, my my you know my blog or my online web, my website. Uh, I allowed that to happen automatically in my absence, so I didn't have to sign in while I was there. Uh, and then when I came back, I just, you know, changed all my passwords, continued to use my existing devices as I always had, and didn't worry that uh, that surveillance followed me across the
6: ocean.
2: Now, wow, but you're a tech guy, Carmi. I mean, what uh, what about an athlete? I mean, would they be briefed on all of this? I mean, I, you know, just listening to you here, I'm thinking, my goodness, th- this is another uh, course to take here for them.
5: My understanding is that Canadian Olympic officials have been working with the IOC on an enhanced cybersecurity uh, training for athletes and other participants, coaches, things like that, national officials, Uh, and they are working with them to advise them on what precautions they need to take. I mean, obviously, it's an additional layer of overhead for anyone who travels, but I think this is a reminder that whenever we travel anywhere, and it doesn't necessarily have to be China, it can be the U.S., it can be any other country in the world we really do need to spend some time thinking about what technology we're going to be bringing with us and how we're going to be using it while we're there uh, in order to minimize our exposure to a cybersecurity event. Because let's be clear, when we're away from our home networks, when we're not on our you know, national uh, service providers, we're on Wi-Fi that we're not familiar with, those risks go up. And we do ourselves a disservice by just assuming that Oh, you know, we'll just take our regular phones and we'll just connect and we don't have to worry about it. We absolutely do because, you know, crim- cyber criminals, including those who are state sponsored, are lying in wait because they know that's when we're most vulnerable.
2: All right. Can't let you go. I only got a minute left here, Thel Carmi, to ask you about the uh, cyber attack on Global Affairs Canada. Uh, and is, is this in somehow related to or a coincidence with the games being close by?
5: No one's admitting that it is, but they're all connected, right? You know, we've, we've seen his, you know historically in 2014 when uh, Russia went into Crimea, it was tied uh, to the Olympics as well. And we've always seen whenever there is large scale uh, Russian involvement in military activity, it's always preceded by cyber attacks. And so, uh, you know, the governments and other experts have been warning for months that as things ramp up militarily that we're seeing more cyber attacks. Uh, and we will continue to see more, and we've got to be on guard, both at a government level, a business level, as well as an individual level. And unfortunately, global affairs was targeted over the weekend. It's an attack that continues to happen. They're not saying a lot about it, but the timing is uh, more than just a mere coincidence, and I expect that's going to ramp up in the days and weeks ahead as we get closer to the Olympics. And unfortunately, as military action uh, around the Russian-Ukraine border continues to become more likely. Mm. Exactly.
2: Carmi Levy with his tech analyst talking about all things tech and how that translates when you're an athlete heading to the Beijing Olympics. Carmi, thanks for the time as always. Much
5: appreciated. Be well. Thanks so much, Scott. You as well.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: You've certainly or probably heard of... Uh, uh, the situation going on with truckers and crossing in and out of this country into the United States, back and forth the supply chain. We certainly know over the course of the pandemic how much that was happening. Uh, obviously, coming down is a mandate for Canadian truckers to be vaccinated and ordered across the border. The U.S., I believe, coming up with the same sort of thing. Why the two aren't on the same page, perhaps we'll find out here. Uh, but either way, that's the story uh with Canadians, uh, Canadian truckers and soon on the way for uh, Americans as well, uh, in that all of that, there's a protest I believe coming from BC on its way to Ottawa, uh, talking about mandatory vaccine for truckers. The trucking association has stepped back from this, say we don't re- we we don't endorse this, and said that uh, the amount of truckers vaccinated pretty much resembles what the national uh, average is, so about uh, over 80 percent of those double vaxxed So uh, we're talking about that less than 20 percent that are not as there seems to be right the way across the country. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
7: I'm fine, thank you. Glad to be with you today.
2: So, Marvin, how serious of an issue is this, as far as adding to the already situa- uh, crisis situation we have with the supply chain? Will this add another layer of delay?
7: So, you know, Scott, I, I, maybe I'm the wrong guy because I don't see it uh, the same way some other people do. And let me try to explain why. The ruling is about cross-border travel. So if I'm a truck driver trying to go back and forth between Canada and the United States, both countries, Canada and the United States today, require you to be vaccinated. We went a week early, so we went last weekend. The Americans went this past weekend. If you aren't vaccinated, then first you're going to be denied entry to the other country, whichever country it is. And if you are a national, in other words, if you're a Canadian truck driver returning home and you're not vaccinated, you're going to be put into a mandatory quarantine. Today there are 15 truck drivers in mandatory quarantine. 15. Now, if I'm a truck uh, company... Because these truck drivers, most of them are not just independent hires out scaring up a load here and there. They work for a trucking company. And so with Mm -hmm. this new regulation, what I would do is I would make sure that the people doing the cross-border trips were vaccinated. Those of my workers who are not vaccinated, they are still doing the domestic trips. So there is no mandate that stops a Canadian truck driver delivering goods within canada they just can't go back and forth across the border therefore it seems to me with just a little bit of adjustment there's no reason for this to be an absolute crisis Now, your comment about the convoy is also well taken. In fact, I was surprised you didn't use that old song from the 80s to lead into this segment.
1: (laughs) Um,
7: uh, This convoy has started in B.C. and is heading towards Ottawa. This coming weekend is supposed to be the big time. My problem is I can't get any reliable information on just what is happening there yesterday on social media i saw lots of pictures about the convoy except there wasn't a single truck in any of the pictures it was all about people out wishing them well uh... one woman today said we expect hundred and fifty thousand trucks in ottawa this weekend canada only has four hundred and twenty thousand trucks i have a hard time believing companies would agree to letting that many of them off the road to go to a protest and by the way scott the average truck fourteen meters long if there were 150,000 of them, that would be a convoy 2,000 kilometers long. The distance from Windsor to Ottawa is 750 kilometers. You know, yeah. we would see this. It would be visible by satellite if such a thing happened. I, I just, I'm having my doubts this protest is going to be that big, but... Those people upset about any kind of mandate, pick the mandate you don't like. I don't want to be masked. I don't want to be vaccinated. I don't want to be socially distanced. I don't want this. I don't want this. After two years, yeah, there is a sentiment. So I expect we'll see lots of people out at the rally. This weekend in Toronto, there was a rally that drew 3,000 that were just mad about everything to deal with COVID. But how many trucks will actually be there in Ottawa? Gosh, I wish I could get a better handle on that.
2: And another thing that you pointed out there is this is on both sides of the border. So really protesting in Canada, that's one thing. But then you would have to convince the Americans to do the exact same thing because you've got to be able to go over and come back. So now that both countries are in agreement and have 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 implemented this, what more could be done?
7: Yeah. Well I mean I agree with that. Now again, if you're just mad about things, you know, I'm just mad as yeah, hell and yeah. I don't want to take it anymore, then any good And this is a good program.
2: vehicle this is a good vehicle for an anti boxer, I guess, right? Right.
7: Or any anti anything, you know, I'm just mad yeah, as yeah. hell. Uh, I, I mean, I saw pictures of some trucks that have got uh, symbols on them around the residential school program, you know, and I want to protest that. Look, if you're just mad about something, come on out and let's get it off your chest. But how big these convoys are going to be, I don't know. One one nice person on social media told me there were going to be 650 trucks coming up from Georgia to join the, join the protest in Ottawa. First, I find that hard to believe that Americans care about anything that's going on in Canada and would want to protest, but then they got to get across the border. If the rule exactly. is you can't get across the border, <laughs> yeah. where are they going to go? So I just feel that at the moment, if you feel there's a groundswell, it's just because people want a good protest.
2: So, but you don't, uh, you're not convinced that even with uh, 20% uh, having to change and do domestic routes, this is not going to affect the supply chain that much?
7: Well, Look, Scott, again, in fairness, over the last year, we've seen supply chain interruptions, and they're not done. You know, we're not going to get our supply chain back to normal until April. But am I anticipating additional supply chain problems? Really, I don't think so. I think the truck companies will persevere and rechange the routes. And and therefore, if you go to your store and you find there aren't oranges, it's not because of the vaccination mandate that's doing it. It's probably a frost in Florida or a frost in California or some produce that they didn't have a truck driver for. But once they're better, they'll come. You know, I think it's the standard uh, supply chain problems, uh, I wouldn't attribute them all to this, this mandate.
2: Marvin Ryder, professor to Group School of Business at McMaster University, talking about trucking mandates and, or sorry, vaccine mandates with truckers traveling to and fro America. Marvin, thanks for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. Let's bring in Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, former CSIS analyst, and author of the book The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism Canada from Confederation to Present. Phil, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
8: Very well, Scott. hope you were as well as well.
2: So we're seeing things obviously flare up between uh, on the border of Ukraine and Russia. We remember what happened with Crimea. Why is
8: this happening now? Wow. (laughs) How much time do we have, Scott? You know, let me start with an interesting story. So, you know, you you mentioned in your intro that I used to work for CSIS. I used to work for CSE as well before I joined CSIS back in the 80s and 90s during the Cold War. Of course, the Soviet Union and its allies were our primary enemy. That's the ones we were really worried about. Then, of course, we so-called won the Cold War. Russia became our ally, or, or so people thought. And yet what's really happening, Scott, is that nothing really has changed over the past 30 or 40 years in the sense that, yeah, Russia is what we used to call the Soviet Union, but they have the same territorial ambitions. They have the same animosity towards largely what we stand for in the West. They don't like NATO. They like the encroachment. And events have been building up for a number of years, and I think this is just starting to boil over now. And from what I'm hearing in the media, it's really, really worrisome in terms of the buildup of troops. You talked about the attack on global affairs today. Russia is exerting its influence, and uh, so far it seems to be getting away with it to a certain extent.
2: Does this have a lot to do with the fact that Ukraine and becoming a member, wanting to become a member of NATO and allowing that, obviously Russia doesn't want that?
8: It's huge. It's huge. Russia has always seen that, you know, in the post-Cold War days, when a lot of the the former, remember the old Warsaw Pact, Scott?
3: Mm -hmm, A lot of the old
8: Warsaw Pact countries became part of NATO. Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, etc. And then, of course, we brought the Baltic states in, which is borders right up against Russia. And there was a fear that, you know, Georgia at one point might want to join, and Ukraine as well. And I think there are those in Russia who see this as an encroachment, not just by NATO, but by the West in general. And they want to send a message saying, you know, we're not on your borders. Why are you on our borders? So any kind of assurances that NATO can give will be interpreted as lies by the Russian government and by the Putin administration as just a way to cover up the fact that we're trying to encircle the Russians to somehow keep control over them or or to prevent them from, you know, acting out their foreign policy or something like that.
2: Is Russia still that powerful in the world?
8: Good question. And I think, you, you know, in terms of militarily, you're best to talk to somebody with a military background as opposed to mine civilian, but there's certainly, they are a major actor. There's no question about that on the cyber front. It seems that most of the attacks that take place in the West, or at least a certain percentage of them do have a Russian hand behind them. We know that they have a significant effort that is devoted to breaking into systems and disrupting computer systems around the world. They are a player and yeah, they're, they're, their population is aging and their economy is not doing too great sometimes, but to dismiss them, would be erroneous. I mean, they're not the Soviet Union, Scott. There's no question about that. But there's certainly a force to be reckoned with, and we we best remember that.
2: Is this uh, is this going on so Putin can look good domestically? He's is he is he uh, falling in the polls? Therefore, uh, you know, let's create another distraction, and this is always a good one.
8: I think yes and no. I think frankly, he he really doesn't give a damn about what Russians think of him. I mean, this is not a democracy in the sense yeah. that we are in Canada are. But, you know, nationalism always plays, Scott. I mean, if you can point that our, all our problems come from abroad, they come from the United States and NATO, they come from the West, then you can divert attention from the, own, the things that your own government's doing wrong, be it yeah. on the economic front or political front or whatever. And government's been doing this since the beginning of time, is to redirect their, their own, the anger of their own population towards an enemy from abroad. So it's worked historically, and Putin is, is using it again.
2: Uh, any relation to the olympics here and the end of or well you know i guess the plateauing of a global pandemic again coming back to why now is there timing with with the beijing olympics
8: well you're asking a tough questions on a monday afternoon i wouldn't have made a link between the beijing olympics and this there certainly could be like i said the ukraine thing's been building for quite some time Mm-hmm. Russia may have some intel that they think that Ukraine is reaching out more to the West. NATO has been very careful in saying that Ukraine will not be a member of NATO anytime soon. Maybe Russia doesn't believe that. I think this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. And whether it happened this month or two months from now or a year from now, it was almost inevitable. It's hard to say exactly what the timing is. But I think the sign has been on the wall for quite some time in this regard.
2: So what about ally reactions, specifically the U.S.? How will they play this?
8: Very carefully. Uh, I mean, Russia still has, uh, obviously, a large nuclear uh, weapons, as as does the West. I'm not, I'm not saying that to, you know, fear-monger that we're going to go down to that, that way, as we did during the Cold War, where mutually assured destruction was a fear of all of us. But these are serious events. I think the United States and its NATO allies have to play this very, very carefully. I mean, Canada has been, you know, lockstep saying we're going to help Ukraine if necessary. But to what extent? I don't know, Scott. Um, Russia has the tactical advantage. They're right next door. Uh, we're thousands of kilometers away, although we do have bases and, and material in Western Europe and parts of Eastern Europe. But what we can do is something. If push comes to shove and there actually is a quasi-invasion, I'm not sure it's gonna. It'll be heady days for sure. It almost. It's funny. I just read an article the other day on the. Remember the old Cuban Missile Crisis from '62, yeah. and how dangerous that was. I'm not. I'm not trying to draw comparisons, but it'll be a, a lot of nerve-wracking times in Western capitals if Russia does go ahead and invade Ukraine.
2: Phil Gursky with us, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and former CSIS analyst. Phil, as always, thanks for the time. Be well.
8: My pleasure, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the
0: Hamilton Today podcast from 900CHML.
2: Will Weber on the board making their way into the virtual around the virtual roundtable. Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard. And uh, as we do another edition of. And welcome table heads, Diana, Dave, and Will. Uh, glad to have you all here. Hope you're all doing well. Yeah, happy Monday.
6: Yes, indeed. Doing hey, as well Will, as I can.
2: <laughs> Will Weber's vaccinated now. He got vaccinated. He got jabbed this morning. Yay. So how are you feeling?
9: Are you doing well? I'm doing pretty well, except suddenly. I don't know Uh-oh. if it's just because Scott's putting me to sleep, but I'm suddenly just very... Hi. I'm 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 a little, little, oh. little lower on energy. And of course, uh, the arm, it the more I do these small movements typing on the keyboard oh, and stuff, right, yeah. oh, it's it's get it's getting there. That might there you, just
6: be Monday. Yeah,
9: exactly.
2: Yeah, it could be just a typical Monday ache right yeah. there. It got nothing to do with the vaccine.
9: <laughs> uh you know what? I
2: got called over the week not called, but I got sent a note over the weekend uh from my pharmacy to go back in and get the appoint uh, get my booster uh the one that i had canceled because i ended up getting it uh so you we are starting to see stuff free up a bit because uh there was quite a few appointments available today however uh i can't get it because i've had it so now i gotta wait another four weeks all right uh let's move on with the poll question of the day should truckers be exempt from COVID 19 mandates to help supply chain crisis 54 percent are saying yes uh, this is an interesting situation, and 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 I'm not sure really. Uh, I think this is kind of a moot point unless you get everybody involved, and that is both countries, and both countries have agreed to make it mandatory. So I, I'm not sure what protesting in Canada is going to do if you know you can get. In, but you can't get out, or vice versa. Uh, everybody has to be on the same page, and as the as they sit now, you got to be vaccinated. Uh, let's start with you, Diana. Should they be exempt, or uh, you know, to a- avoid the supply chain crisis, or uh, or should they get be jabbed like everybody else? By the way, I think truckers. I've talked to the trucking association, and their trucking vaccine rates resemble pretty much the rest of the population. So the vast majority of them are. Uh, your thoughts, Diana?
6: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, as you just mentioned and i think only 10% are not vaccinated uh, so 90% I, I think already got their jab mm-hmm. um i i mean i get why the mandate is in place i do um and I, and i really think that that it that it should be i guess um you know if we're going to have it you know that way just for safety reasons uh but i mean we're not but again the vast majority is vaccinated so i really don't understand um you know why we're at this point right now but But I guess it's not so black and white. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that I'm sure there's different reasons for everyone. And I'm sure it's quite a frustrating go for a lot of these these truckers.
2: And Marvin said, uh, Marvin Ryder, as far as the uh, transportation, trucking business side of it, said that just by switching truckers around to domestic and long haul, cross border uh, deliveries should alleviate a lot, a, a lot of this problem. Dave, what are your thoughts on on this? Should they be exempt or should they be mandated in order to help the uh, supply chain?
1: Yeah, I think that the mandate is fine. I think that you'll you'll you, when you look into different industries and different companies, they all have different mandates uh, yeah. in terms of the vaccine, anyways. Uh, so I don't think it's it's odd that, say, tr- the trucking industry is being made to, to undergo this. Um, and Marvin brings up a great point in, in that, you know, you can work around this situation. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to be a huge problem in terms of uh, the economy. I mean, in terms of getting, you know, things across the border. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that everything's kind of accounted for. All right. Well, your thoughts, should uh, all truckers be vaccinated? Uh, well... We won't get
9: everyone vaccinated regardless, but um, getting to the point where enough truckers are vaccinated, if the mandate is necessary, I could see why. But at the same time, Ron Foxcroft was on the Roy Green show uh, last week, weekend, and he said the guys are in the cabs all the time and they sign maybe one or two pieces of paper. They're not really super spreaders. So what is the point fundamentally? And he does raise a good question there. So I guess I'm torn
2: are we wasting our time with these debates when we already have one of the highest vaccine uh, vaccination rates in the world? As you bring up, uh, will we ever reach 100 uh, percent? It seems that we're we're chasing our tail. W- what are your thoughts on that, Diana?
6: Um, I don't think that, you know, it's ever I understand why people are still frustrated. I mean, there are still a lot of people that, um, you know, are are refusing to get the vaccine. um, And I and I believe it will be a hot topic for a while. So I don't think it's, you know, completely futile to have these conversations given even though uh, the vast majority of us do have our vaccine here. Uh, I think bigger conversations need to happen about how to distribute it to the third world better um, and get it in there. So, I mean, we can squabble all we want here about the vaccine, but the real issue, you know, is, is kind of happening outside our borders, I think.
1: Dave thoughts You know what I mean it, It's funny this is the Only debate that I ever Have about this is on This program I mean I Don't, I don't talk about this With friends outside of Work I don't really Talk about it with Family um, you're either Vaccinated or you're Not yeah and uh, if you're Not then you're kind of Either I'm, you're not Coming over to my House or we're making You're sure on we your get own together. Island you're on your Own island anyway Absolutely so it's one Of those things that I Don't think that there's A lot of people that Are having this Conversation and I Don't necessarily see You know a point in having it much longer, you know what I mean? And, you
2: know, I I think the whole thing uh, in regard to the convoy, um, I I, I think what's going to happen here, and as we said earlier, I think these problems logistically are solvable. I think what this is going to become, and as Marvin spoke out and said, this is going to be an anti-everything convoy. And, I mean, you know, we saw this when places were asked to close right at the beginning of the pandemic and others stayed open. Like the Um, Yellow
1: Jackets uh, protests. Sure. Everybody just
2: jumps on board, and if you hate everything, it's time to jump on and, and go across the country, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, like even Marvin was saying that there were trucks coming up from the U.S., and he said, well, if they're not vaccinated, they can't get across the border. Uh so you have to wonder how much of this is is just again other other organizations other anti organizations jumping on the convoy uh bandwagon to uh to get their message heard. All right, let's uh, end with something a little lighter. Uh we were supposed to go away in February to Mexico for a a wedding, for a destination wedding. It's been postponed, so I don't have to make this decision, but pick your sunny destination, wherever your favorite spot is, where when would you feel comfortable flying around again just for fun? So, you know, wherever your favorite spot is, whether it's an island or it's FLA, wherever, uh, when would you feel comfortable flying around for fun? Diana? Uh,
6: I honestly would feel comfortable flying around quote-unquote for fun now uh i whether whether or not i'm gonna do it is a different thing i think what i'm most worried about is being able to get back in my country um getting stuck somewhere uh having an outbreak of a new variant god forbid uh while we're there you know anything like that i think but you know if, if things were staying exactly as they are right now i think i i would feel okay given that you know i'm i'm fully vaxxed and you know i I practice safe protocols, that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, I tr- I've i traveled before and I've had to get, you know, a cocktail of different vaccines to travel mm-hmm. and have that little passport, you know, when I go and make sure I don't get malaria or whatever it is. And I just feel like I, I, I would feel kind of the same about this. I, I don't know if that puts me in a weird spot, but... <laughs>
2: Was that when you were eating the rodents? You were eating. What was that you were eating?
6: <laughs> the guinea pigs.
2: The guinea pig. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, she's our world traveler, by Ugh. the way. Uh, no one else on the show has done that. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts? Uh, sunny destination. When do you feel good about jumping on a plane?
1: Well, wherever they don't eat guinea pigs <laughs> is where I'm going to go. Uh, no, you know, I, I, um, we've gone to St. Lucia, my wife and I, before, and I loved it there, and it was really fantastic. Would love to get back there. Uh, what I feel comfortable about traveling. Uh probably uh when I got there I would be the entire week away I'd be fine and then the travel there and the travel back and all of the hoops that you would have to go through I think yeah. that's really what what doesn't what puts me kind of at uh unease about the whole thing
9: PCR tests. Yes. Well,
1: what are your thoughts?
9: Uh if Japan would let me in I would be very comfortable traveling right now. <laughs> that's the one hey, destination look at that. I get to. But, Everybody pack uh,
2: your bags. We're going now.
9: Yeah, exactly. But they, <laughs> they've they locked down the country, so I can't go in. But the, I guess the biggest thing is once the PCR test requirements are dropped, because that's, what, 200-ish American dollars yeah. per test or something? Yeah,
2: it's the hoops. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, obviously, uh, students heading back after an extended uh, holiday break due to Omicron. And, uh, you know, many thought that uh, we were heading in the other direction when all of a sudden the holidays came and this, uh, and this new variant. And, of course uh back into uh restrictions and lockdowns we went uh always been trying to get a teacher on to try to talk about what it is like in the world of uh, online learning and in person learning when you are in the midst of a global pandemic for the last two years. So I want to introduce you to Steve Clark, law and history teacher, grade 11 and 12. Also, uh, play by play for the OHL Niagara Ice Dogs and OUA McMaster Marauders. Steve Clark is with us now. Steve, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
4: Uh, thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate you having me hanging in there.
2: So, so, uh, this is a very cool combination. You're a teacher and a play by play person.
4: Yeah, it's uh, well. You know what? Uh, using my voice, I guess, is 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 my strength. How well, how much people listen to me, I guess, is certainly up to the to to other people. But uh, yeah, i got into the play by play quite a while ago, and I've been a teacher for twenty one years, and it's worked out quite nicely for me.
2: Maybe may, now, do the kids listen to you with more authority because of this background that you have?
4: I, I think I think they're curious, and I think some of them do you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, know what I kind of do on the side with the Ontario Hockey League and, and the university. But, you know, I'm working with teenagers and then they tend to play it pretty cool. With me, so the <laughs> car is doing a real good job of hiding
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Steve, here we are, uh, man, two years going into the third year. I remember being, uh, the, the kids were home for March break. My, my kids were home, and then two days later, I joined them. Uh, what's it been like for the last two years? As you look back at the two years, uh, what stands out? What comes to mind?
4: Well, I think what stands out, is just the amount of change, and I guess the word is pivot, that everybody in education has to do, including the students, from online learning to some doing quadmesters to doing a week with two subjects and a week with the other two subjects, back to regular mm-hmm. semestering and back to online. I mean, this year alone, there's been four different learning models for the students, and, and that has been, you know, real, been a real challenge you know for them uh, especially for those of them who are like grade 11 or below because they haven't had a full regular school year without any sort of disruption or changing learning models so it definitely been a challenge
2: and uh, you know what many may not realize in education education is all about consistency coming back and knowing that there's a comfort zone there and, and moving forward so how do you how do you handle that when the world is going through what it's going through
4: yeah, and, and you make a great point. Consistency and routine, to me, I think, are key. You know, for for students, whether they're any age, whether they're primary age or high school age. So, really, what what you have to do. Somebody told me once: improvise, adapt, and overcome. And, and that's a, a mantra I've sort of of taken. And, and what I have is I've really kind of, not to say I didn't empathize with students before, but I, I really do empathize, and I really put, want to put them. And give them every single opportunity to succeed. So that's kind of what's driven me because I, I know it's different for them in the classroom. You can tell day to day they're different people when they're wearing masks. They were different mm. people when they were in cohorts, and and half of them were here and half of them weren't. And they're very different people, you know, when um, they're they're fully online and you don't get that interaction with them. So you just have to kind of be that that steadying, you know, calm center. For them, so that they know that basically you're in their corner and, and we're in it together.
2: We certainly know all the challenges that that have, uh, you know, for both student and and teacher getting through all of this. And you've mentioned a few of them. Obviously, um, what's happening on a day to day basis, academics has has been pushed to the back burner as we're just trying to get through this. But what do you think the students have learned over and above the academics? What do you think the students have learned going through this experience over two years?
4: Well, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I think they they have learned from my perspective that maybe more than they would like to admit it, that they do enjoy being in the building and they do enjoy mm. interacting <laughs> and socializing with friends and not being isolated at home and relying on apps and, and chats and Zoom and Google Meets and any sort of communication. They, they do enjoy being in the building. They do enjoy being in the class. They're friends. They, you know, do enjoy their teacher and all of the sports and extracurricular activities that they get to do. So, you know, I think that's something that they have come to appreciate. Many of them, especially the teenagers, they might not admit it as much, but I, I do really mm-hmm. think they're grateful to be in the school. I get more students actually, surprisingly, Scott, thanking me after lessons than I ever did before. And wow. I think that's something that that's, that's really, really important to to some of them. So you know that much. Wait to get out, but. <laughs>
2: That, that must be amazing from an education standpoint, from your standpoint, simply because, you know, uh, as all of us have done prior to COVID-19, sometimes we take things for granted. And then once we go through this, uh, perhaps our priorities change. It must be very rewarding to see them. And I know even my own grade Niner, man, he couldn't get, wait, he couldn't wait to get back, uh, after, after the Christmas holiday and such. But that must be rewarding because again, it's re-engaged them all. Almost.
4: Yeah, it, it is, and it and it's a it's a little thing, but it means a lot. It 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 means it's sort of like holding the door open for somebody, or saying thank you when somebody mm. holds the door open for you, or if somebody pays it forward going through, you know, a, a Tim Hortons line or something like that. It's those little things that do show that that uh, you know that the students do appreciate. You know what it is that uh, that it is you're trying to do on a day to day basis. I mean, we're just we're just you know professionals who are educated and and trying to navigate things as best best as possible and to try and provide a comfortable place for the students to learn.
2: Uh, we've only got a few seconds left. What do you think the biggest challenge has been for most teachers? Obviously, you can't speak for everybody, but what's been the biggest challenge through all this?
4: Uh, well, for me, it's been—I'll be honest with you—it's been. It has been energy level on a day-to-day basis and yeah, I think yeah. pre- the, the teachers as well tend to be creatures of habit and creatures of routine and 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 if there's a program or something like that that they need to learn they learn it so all of the changing has forced teachers a little bit out of their comfort zone and it's forced me out of my comfort zone a little bit and that's something that i've had to adapt to and you know I, to try and put a positive spin on it scott for me, I actually think it has made me a better all round teacher because I've had to, as I said, you know, adapt to different situations and really had to be really on my game. And I think that's been the biggest benefit.
2: Steve Clark has been with us, grade 11 and 12, law and history teacher when not doing the play by play for the Niagara Ice Dogs and uh, Master Marauders. Steve, great discussion. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck moving forward.
4: Thanks very much, Scott. Appreciate you having me. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: As you've no doubt heard, and we've been talking about throughout the course of the show, the situation in Ukraine is heating up. Uh, lots of chatter and action along the bu- uh, border between Russia and uh, and Ukraine, with uh, Russia amassing about 100,000 troops close to Uh, the border. Uh, NATO is increasing its presence as well. The U.S. saying 8,500 troops have uh, been put on alert. To talk more about all of this, Oral Brown is with us, professor of international relations and senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto and with us now. Oral, thank you for the time. I hope you're
10: well. Uh, Thank you.
2: Uh, We're certainly seeing this uh, certainly increase, the tensions increase, uh, more troops, more announcements of uh, military presence and commitment to it. How serious is this going to get before somebody blinks?
10: Unfortunately, it is getting worse. There are ominous signs. And uh, the problem is that not uh, merely Vladimir Putin. Uh, He is an assertive leader. Uh, He needs to divert attention away from domestic problems. So what he's doing is not necessarily new, but he operates on the basis of looking for soft targets and seeing opportunities. And this is what is so disturbing, that the Biden administration in particular has negotiated in a way that uh, indicates textbook mistakes. Hmm. And though one can understand, that you'd like to negotiate because negotiations are vastly preferable to armed conflict, which can escalate and becomes very unpredictable. There are certain uh, kind of rules for negotiations that are elementary. And Mr. Biden is supposed to be an experienced uh, statesman. And yet the basic rules are being violated. So what's the opportunity here for Russia? The opportunity here is to cause as much chaos and disruption in Ukraine to try to make Ukraine a failed state. Uh, The opportunity is to drive a wedge uh, uh, between the United States and maybe Canada across the Atlantic and the European states or within uh, Europe to intimidate the Eastern European members of NATO to be as much of a disruptive force as possible because he views the world in terms of uh, a kind of zero-sum game uh, game, game where uh, anything uh, that uh, the West loses, uh, he thinks, is a bonus for Russia. And the way uh, the American administration has negotiated has played right into his hands.
2: How will life be better for Russia if Putin gets his way?
10: It won't be better. It is not uh, promising an improvement in the daily lives of the Russian people. Uh, if you apply a kind of 30 year rule, and if you look at what happens in 30 years, and you take as uh, examples of this uh, uh, Nazi Germany, Fascist Italy, and militaristic Japan in 1945, there were three utterly devastated states, defeated. Uh, and uh, the populations, uh, in many cases, were, were going hungry. Uh, it has been now about 30 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was not devastated militarily. It has the greatest uh, natural resources of the world. It has an enormous amount of scientific uh, talent. Uh, uh, but Russia is, with the exception of the oligarchs, wretchedly poor. The per capita mm-hmm. GDP is lower than that of Turkey. If you look at Germany, Japan, West Germany, Japan, and Italy, 30 years after the end of the war, look at them in 1975. By 1975, they were thriving democracies with advanced economies, and they were successful exporters. Contrast that with Russia. So Mr. Putin, in many ways, has failed massively domestically, and what he has done is to He has tried to divert attention away. So when he illegally invaded an ex-Crimea, his popularity soared because he marketed that. Mm Although nationalism is sellable, he tends to appeal to the worst instincts of the Russian people, xenophobia, dissatisfaction, the notion that they are being encircled. And he feeds on that, he encourages that. But in the longer term, he does a terrible disservice to the people of Russia.
2: You talk about Biden's textbook mistakes. What should he be doing?
10: Well, number one, you should not negotiate with a gun pointed at your head. Because if you're doing that, you're not likely to get a good deal. You're not likely to be able to protect your interests or those of allies. But this is exactly what Mr. Putin has done. He has mobilized forces around Ukraine uh, in large numbers. They're ready for uh, an invasion. I do not know if they will or will not. I'm skeptical that they would actually do it on a large scale. But he has put extraordinary pressure. And instead of Mr. Biden insisting that there should be de-escalation before negotiations, there is now negotiations and Russian escalation. Second, you don't allow an aggressor, in the case of Russia, to establish a baseline where they get to keep what they had gained illegally And then you merely try to negotiate that they do not take more territory. But that's Mm. what's happening right now. And third, you do not allow allies who are, in a way, held hostage by the aggressor to make decisions for you. And Germany has played a very negative role because Germany is hostage to Russian energy. They get 40% of the natural gas. And they don't want any military action. They have even refused to allow the transfer of... uh, uh, German guns that uh, were sold to Estonia or given to Estonia to be transferred to Ukraine.
2: Wow, it's going to get more complicated before it starts to ease. Uh, Arl Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of uh, Toronto. Arl, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary. Happy second anniversary you know what I'm talking about? Uh, ours is tomorrow, January 25th. But Wuhan, China's anniversary passed, uh, well, a month ago. But not much was chatted about the second anniversary of when um, the COVID-19 virus was first detected in Wuhan, China. And now we are celebrating our own anniversary, or will tomorrow. Is anybody talking about this? Uh, It was January 25th, and this is from an article exactly a year ago when we were celebrating the one-year anniversary. Uh, January 25th is Canada's first case, uh, presumptive case was reported uh, regarding COVID. January 25th, 2020. Two years ago, Tomorrow, a Toronto man in his 50s who returned from the Chinese city of Wuhan, the initial epicenter of the outbreak, becomes the first presumptive case of the novel coronavirus in Canada. The man is placed in isolation in Toronto's Sunnybrook Hospital. January 26th, the next day, the man's wife, who had traveled with him from Wuhan, also tests positive, becoming the country's second presumptive case. Uh, The woman is allowed to self-isolate at home. Then by January 26th, the na- sorry January 27th, the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg confirms that in fact uh these two people that have been treated uh have are, are the first two cases of COVID-19 in Canada. So uh on this day tomorrow, sorry on <laughs> tomorrow's date January 25th, 2 years ago is when we had our first case of COVID-19 detected here in Canada. Uh, Not talking a lot about that. Let's bring in Henry Jasick, professor of political science McMaster University. Henry, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
11: I am well, Scott.
2: Are you surprised we're not talking more about this? Or are we downplaying it because we don't want to upset China? Or are we just so fatigued from it all we don't give a dang anymore? Um, But, yeah, tomorrow is a pretty big anniversary for Canada.
11: Yes, for sure. I remember that. Uh, I think uh, the the, the, peop- the politicians, the people people in office, uh, have have one thing they've learned is that people like happy talk, and con- and having uh, celebrating this type of anniversary is not happy talk. So I don't think you're going to find any of our political leaders saying this is an important day.
2: Two years out, does China owe us an apology? Do they owe us any sort of explanation whatsoever?
11: No, they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't uh, basically go out and give us a. Sort of a confession saying this is what we did wrong this is what we did right and and give us you know and point that out and uh, yeah it is interesting so it's left to other people to sort of look and make their own assumptions about it but yeah we don't have any of the no politicians saying there no leaders saying these are the things i did wrong are
2: we downplaying their involvement in this
11: well i think we are i uh, i do think uh, we we, we tend to be looking forward. People are fatigued and they want to know when this, we're going to be over this thing. And they're not, I don't think people really want to look all that much backward at it. You know, about what went wrong. They, they're really worried about the future. They really are looking forward to a spring. Right now, we're looking to a spring when we're going to be relatively disease-free. And so I don't, I don't think they want to want to, People want to look back, and the politicians don't want to talk about it. But but it is an important time.
2: Have we changed our opinion of the Chinese Communist Party?
11: I don't think so. Well, I think actually the press and everything, that the, of course, that the government is doing over there um, is more and more repulsive to our basic standards. So actually, I think people are... Not very are increasingly unhappy, and there's been surveys showing people are saying, "Hey, we we need to you know get stop buying all these products that are made there. We need our factories to come home to North America, to Canada, and that uh, yeah we we don't want to be so reliant on China. So yeah, the, the basically I think we've just, and now there's a lot of people, of course, and I've heard this today from some people, but surprising, say our athletes shouldn't be uh, in the uh, mm-hmm. Winter Games there. That this is completely wrong. I. I mean, I, I, that's tough on the athletes, athlete, uh, the, uh, um, the athletic uh, people to do the athletes, but uh, you know, it, uh, we're 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 becoming very, as a country, I think, becoming very negative towards the uh, People's Republic of China.
2: Uh, I was talking earlier on with the security person uh, in regard to devices and phones, and the uh, International Olympic Committee is providing athletes with phones, telling them not to take their own devices over and download the Olympic app on that because it is very insecure. It seems that we're not even telling or we're discouraging our athletes from taking their phones over, we're giving them phones to use while they're there and then taking them back, yet we don't seem to be committed on a Huawei 5G decision, <laughs> yet we won't let our athletes take yeah, it's, their phones uh, there.
11: It, it, is, it is very interesting. I mean, it's been years. I mean, I quite frankly went to a reception a number of years ago at a, at a Chinese hotel. Uh, I was invited to it uh, with along with uh, a number of politicians, and I got swept up and I said, okay, I'll go. And uh, they were making a pitch, you know, for that for the, that company to essentially set up shop here and and to sell stuff uh, to the general public here, in, um in Canada. And that must have been oh god, that that I you know I I think that was maybe seven years ago, and uh, and we've been just basically sort of you know ragging the puck on that you know we never have ever said we're not we're definitely not going to do it and but but we sort of keep saying well we're thinking about it but it's clear the government is not going to let them into the country
2: so now uh let's change gears really quickly to what's happening ukraine-russia border canada taking a strong stance on that um your thoughts on our reaction and where we are with this
11: conflict well, I mean, we're we're a small player right now in that. So I think we have to I think what we'll do is just basically support the U.S. and NATO, whatever they want to do. We're not going to contribute a lot or spend a lot, but we're going to we're going to we'll, we'll we'll sign on to support them. And I just basically think the, the you know, the main countries in the in NATO and uh, and the United States will be making, you know, charting where we're going to be going and and we'll, we'll just say we're going to go along with it, and everybody will keep their fingers crossed that nothing bad happens.
2: Uh, why is Russia doing this now? Is this all to boost his, uh, Putin's popularity at home?
11: No, you know, the thing is, I think he's pretty secure. I mean, he is really cl- clamped down on the opposition. They, they don't really have much of a chance of really harming him and the way he governs the country. Um, so he's getting stronger and stronger internally in Russia but he's always had this idea that, that essentially 1989 when the soviet union started to break up and all these all these parts of it became independent countries including the ukraine that this was the greatest tragedy that suffered by uh, you know uh, russia in in the last uh, few hundred years and he wants to be he really believes that to restore restore russia's you know honor that he needs what he wants to do is try to get some of these countries back but uh, so, but at the same time, I don't think he really wants to go to war. I think, <clears throat> I think he wants to bully his way uh, across. And so, I think the strategies of you know most of the other countries are saying, "Listen, we're not going to provoke you. We're not going to you know, we don't want to start a war, but we're not going to give in to you." And uh, I think they were a bit caught unaware when he took over Crimea a few years ago. Mm. But they're not going to let him do that sort of thing anymore. And and so, I don't know how they're going to find something. The, <clears throat> where Putin can say I've, I've won some sort of moral victory or something, but uh, I don't. I don't really think he's going to go. You know, inv- invade us. It's interesting. There are a lot of number of people who uh, analysts have pointed out that probably what he wants to do is make sure that there's no democracy in Belarusia, mm.
1: Belarus,
11: and uh, and uh, so and and a lot of his tanks actually actually have gone in there. He's. I think he's been very wor- worried uh, a while ago when he had all those demonstrations in Belarusia. So he, um, I think he wants to make sure they don't go the way the Ukraine goes, and that's, and that's not something he's talking about, mm. but I think that's what he's worried about.
2: Henry Jasik with us, professor of political science McMaster University. Henry, always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. Be well.
11: Okay, same to you, Scott. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: Coming up after the 6 o'clock news, Scott Radley is going to uh, take over the airwaves. Of course, you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am fine. How are you? I'm doing well, and I want to wish you an early happy anniversary. Uh, Okay. Of? See, nobody realizes this. Tomorrow, January twenty fifth, is the second anniversary of the first case being detected of COVID nineteen <laughs> in Canada.
12: Yeah. Oh, good. so what do you give for that anniversary? Like a, a you, know, you, have you get a vaccination, a you vaccination. get a jab. It's the vaccination anniversary. Okay.
2: <laughs> you get a jab. I'm reading an article from a year ago. Uh, and we were celebrating the one-year anniversary. And I just thought, you know, because uh, Wuhan celebrated it uh, a month ago, and we never really, well, we didn't get them anything. And then I thought, well, when did it arrive here? And then I just Googled it, and here we are. It's tomorrow, tomorrow. Uh, January wow. 25th. Uh, and this is from an article from a year ago, doing, uh, talking about the one-year anniversary. This will be the two. Wow. January 25th, a man in his 50s who returned from uh, the Chinese city of Wuhan uh, the initial epicenter of the outbreak becomes the first presumptive case of COVID-19. He's placed in isolation at Sunnybrook. January 26th, the next day, the man's wife, who traveled with him to Wuhan, also pest tests positive, becoming the second case, but she gets to stay at home. By January 27th, the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg confirms uh, all of this, and the rest is history, as they say. Are you surprised well, we're not talking more about this?
12: Well, I guess I'm wondering if you and your wife have, you know, big plans for this as well. I'd have to go out for some bat from a wet market for dinner. It and, would be. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if we did, it would be the first time in a long time. So maybe that's the right way to celebrate it.
12: Yeah, I don't know if celebrate would quite be the right word to it. Yes. perhaps. But am I surprised we're not? Well, listen, um, considering that, you know, the truth is that it's, really the real anniversary because covid started in an envelope left toronto and went to china (laughs) so we don't really know when that was yes Um, you know well no that's
2: how it got to beijing apparently uh just prior to the olympics which are obviously starting soon uh somebody sent a letter to beijing and that's how the omicron variant got there through a letter from canada
12: um you know the other thing that i just read about this and, and yes i am surprised we're not talking about it more although i do there are so many different anniversaries in this, if you want to call it that. Then it's probably it's pretty hard to um, nail down which one is the right one. Uh, I, I don't know. First least, time in Canada seems to do it for me. Canada? No, that's a, that's you know that that's legit for sure. Um, I, I just read something from this week that you, you probably don't want to be uh, in China right now because there's in certain part there's an outbreak, and they have reverted to the um, another type of uh, of testing that does not involve a little stick going up your nose. It goes in somewhere else that is just apparently no. more accurate, but like, really? I'll just stay home. I'll stay home forever. I'll never leave my house <laughs> again.
2: Maybe that's the than... whole idea here. You know, as soon Maybe. as we threaten to stick it up the other end, that's it. That'll just shut everybody down. Yeah, Nobody will be house asking house for ever. a test. No way. <laughs> How big's is no. the lineup for tests once we start going up that way? <laughs> I would... Uh... No, go ahead. You line up ahead of me, Scott. You go ahead. Yeah, the, how, we've got lots of availability at
12: local pharmacies, <laughs> <laughs> except yes. that all the pharmacists have booked off.
2: Yes, yes. And wear a skirt, please.
12: Mm, yeah. Well, a kilt. Yep. It's. Uh, yeah. I, I. You know, this whole thing is. You know, you and I are laughing about this, and there may be people saying, "Like this is not funny." Of
8: course, it's no. not
12: funny. But there comes a point, and maybe it's just working in a newsroom. As long as you have, as long as I have, whatever. Yeah there comes a point at which you, I think, you have to have a little bit of gallows humor about the whole thing, or else you go cra- I mean, we're already going a little crazy. If you can't laugh a little bit about this, and I'm not laugh like you and I, we're not laughing about people dying or people being horrible. No. That's not it at all. It's just the, this thing has become, for two years, our entire life. I mean, honestly, and, you know, I know that you do other things besides covid whatever that might be and other people do too but I, i'm I trying you, i no, but i would bet you there has not been a single day in the last yeah. two years that you and me and everyone listening has not mentioned the word covid or it has not come up somehow it's yeah. it has defined our life for two years
2: uh It's, um, yeah. Okay, let me ask you a quick question. If and I was asking this to the roundtable, and we've only got a couple of seconds. If you could now, we talk. I I heard your promo about you know soon people are just going to take off everywhere and just fly around the world. Um, If you, if you uh, could finance, none of that's an issue. If you could fly anywhere you were for your dream fun vacation, how long would it take you to go? Would you feel good going today, this week? Ah, uh, next month, next year, would you feel good packing your bags and jumping in on a plane and going to a sunny destination?
12: So now? yes. So here's the answer to that question, and it's a little bit of a two part answer. Yes, in fact, my wife and I and another couple just did book a trip, uh, for a number of months from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, could could end up being canceled, but you know what? We're also thinking it's you know we're starting to read stories that things are returning yeah. to a little bit of normal, and if you don't plan for something. Some, you know, you're just going to be stuck. The other part of that question is, I would go today. Honestly, I would go today, but for the fact that with the rules we have, even if you got it, you may never get back into Canada. And that, that to me, is the bigger issue for me. I'm I'm less worried about getting a case of Omicron at this point than I am about being stuck somewhere and never being allowed to get back into my own country. And we're hearing that from a lot of people, that that's the fear. You're being blocked from getting back.
2: Yeah, I hear that too, Uh, although that being said, I'm I'm hearing also of way too many people that are coming to and fro, and it's way too easy, including if you've had it, which apparently gets you bypassed a lot of this. Uh, Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. Private Island, Scott. Private Island is the answer. After the 6 o'clock news and columnists with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. Take care. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will and Will for producing today. And also thanks to Dave and Diana in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener, to have the last word.
10: Hi, I'm John. I uh, drove a uh, five-ton truck for three years delivering hospital beds. I think the vaccine mandate for truckers is, is just ridiculous because I see maybe two people a day when I'm delivering the hospital beds. I have no idea what what his mandate is or what why he would do this. Ninety nine